Welcome to the Open Door Policy. Each week on this podcast, we sit down with a different guest and talk about a letter. Archbishop Vigneron's Unleash the Gospel Pastoral Letter. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. All right. Be about it. Each guest we have on this show we think is living it out in a new and exciting way. This time on Open Door Policy, we sit down with Karen Irvin. Karen is living out her relationship with the Lord in one of the most unique ways possible. I can't wait to hear about how God has worked in her life, how he led her to her vocation, and all the wonderful things Karen is doing to live out her life to unleash the gospel. What up, Karen? How you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you, Danielle? My main girl right here. I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Okay, money. <laughs> <laughs> As you were. This is a lot of energy we're bringing. I'm doing well. I can't wait to uh, jump into rapid fire questions oh, with Karen. Are Let's you ready? Do it. Let's do it. Question for you. What was the coolest article of clothing you had when you were a kid? Oh my gosh, an amazing rainbow shirt. Nice. What is the weirdest food you have ever eaten? Weirdest food? Mm-hmm. Haggis in Scotland. Mm. And I only took one bite because I just, as soon as I found out what it was, it was a big mistake. It's a big mistake. I'm never eating this thing again. Do you have a favorite piece of religious art? I do. What yeah. is it? It's a. <laughs> I thought that was ne- it. Okay, ne- yes, I do. Next okay, question. That's fine. Next, Next question. If your life was made into a movie, what genre would it be and who would play you? Mm. 1500s. I like those big dresses. Mm, I actually okay. like those beautiful, like they, they flow and they move on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who would play me? Maybe Kira Knightley. You talk as a rule while dancing? No, I prefer to be unsociable and taciturn. Yeah, girl, get it done. What do you remember about church as a child? Falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> my parents really liked like that Saturday evening mass. Hmm. Not my sweet spot. Hashtag still, nap still, time. Right, still not my sweet spot. <laughs> all right, uh, Karen, hamburger, pizza, or taco? Taco. All right. Of all the places you've been, where would you like to return to most? I'd live in Rome. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I would say it came from my dad, and he said, even though you didn't ask me that, but he told me I had to suffer. If you had to teach one class, what class would you be best at teaching? English literature. For what grade? Oh, I love the 10th grade. 10th grade English lit. All right. And then lastly, if you could pick your confirmation saint today, who would you choose? Catherine of Siena. Saint Catherine of Siena, born 1347, is a Catholic saint, a mystic, and a doctor of the church. I think we have to ask you about <laughs> the favorite piece of religious art. Um, that I have in my house? Favorite piece, well, it yeah. it just be anything. It doesn't have to be in your house. I have this crucifix I found in Italy. It's a live Jesus yeah. where he's he's colored. You can see that yeah. his body's been tortured on the cross. Yeah. And I keep it actually right by my bed. You spent some time in Italy, it sounds like, because you would I go have. back to Rome, is I what would. you said. If you go back, what are like... Top two must-sees. So I could pray all day in St. Peter's. Really? Yeah, that place is like a treasure trove Mm -hmm. for me. Particular spot or just like all of the I love the altars. So when I go to Rome now, I make like St. Peter's my home church. So I go there for the first Mass of the day. 
do my holy hour before mass. It's quiet. Yeah. yeah. Like if you've ever been in St. Peter's when there's like thousands of people, it's a huge distraction. But if you get there the first couple hours of the morning, it's basically you and the church. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, it's beautiful. Do you ever have a taco in Rome? <laughs> never. <laughs> wow. You know what? I Are never even looked for a taco in Rome. <laughs> Are there tacos <laughs> in Rome? I don't know. I don't know. There's got to be There's no taco. taco. Have you, I don't think you so. Been to Rome? This isn't rapid fire question. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, fine. No, I've been to Rome three times. Okay. And I've never had a taco there. Right. They're not there. Good call. <laughs> uh, and uh, let, let's talk about the best piece of advice you've yeah. been given. I just was going through a season of great suffering and had was on that downward spiral. And so he came over to my house and he did what dads do, you know, and my dad's not the kind that just pats you on the head and says, sweetie, it's going to be okay. My dad's the kind of dad who keeps it real. And he said, I think you have to suffer this. Mm-hmm. And he was right. Yeah. I had to suffer this, and it was the greatest growth. A question. English lit. If you had to focus then on, like, one part of English lit, like time period, book, poem, Shakespeare, play. Yeah, I was just going to say it's Shakespeare. What are we, is it? Yeah, I and love I, Shakespeare. You know, oh. I didn't like him in high school, but I, I have a literature degree, so I had to take him in college yeah. quite a bit, and then I fell in love. Do you have a favorite comedy, tragedy, history? I like the Hamlet Macbeth. I knew him, Horatio. A fellow of infinite jest, of most excellent fancy. Alas, poor Yorick. Where be your jibes now? Your flashes of merriment that will want to set the table on a roar. Mm, the two okay. of them, like the, that, yeah, that yeah. tragedy, but Merchant of Venice. Interesting. I like Portia. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. Karen, we'd love to hear about your relationship with the Lord. So uh, why don't you share with us your testimony, please? Yeah, so I actually like to start with the end in mind for my testimony. And so I share right up front with people that a couple of years ago, I was consecrated as a virgin living in the world for the diocese. And it's a fairly new vocation for the diocese, but it happens to be the oldest vocation for women in the church. Wow! So when you think about, uh, if you ever hear the uh, first Eucharistic prayer in the mass, we talk about St. Agnes, St. Agatha, and St. Lucy. And all of those women were consecrated as virgins for the church. So I kind of stumbled into the vocation throughout my spiritual journey. And then once I knew it existed and what it was, then I started to pursue it more actively. And so that's kind of the end of the story. But the beginning of the story is a little harder, I think, for me to, to just share in a couple minutes. So I felt called to religious life as a little girl. And I remember, you know, in the fourth grade, I just had this heart for Jesus Christ and really loved him. But it wasn't the cool thing to love Jesus the way that I did. So I remember making a prayer in the fourth grade, you know, when we were going to Mass as a school, that I would do anything for God but be a religious. And so I prayed that way for a very long time and kind of shut that door to religious life and only pursued the married vocation. I just assumed that I would be in a wife and a mother like my mom. And have I told my mom I wanted nine kids. You know, she had seven, but I wanted nine. And I, you know, dated many different men during my life, but I could never love anybody as much as Jesus. So when I hit my 30th year, it's like my life started to fall apart because I had been constructing it, you know, all on my own 
rather than allowing God to construct it for me. So what that looks like, at least the the final blow for me, was that I was diagnosed with a degenerative back condition. And so I was flat on my back for quite a while. And the doctors had told me that they were going to fuse my spine, Hmm. that that was what would help me so that I would gain mobility again. But I didn't want to do that Mm -hmm. just because of the lifetime ramifications of fusing your spine. So I went to a specialist who encouraged me to take the pain. And that's the first time my dad had said to me, I think, you know, you need to suffer this. I, I think you need to just embrace this. So I did. And that was the hardest season, I think, of my life to suffer and to not suffer with Jesus. And I hit a point where I was suicidal. And I called my sister one night, and I'm crying on the phone like, I can't take the pain anymore. you Mm got to figure something out. And my sister's a nurse, and she had two little people at the time, so she was just encouraging me on the phone like, you can do this. You know, you know you can do this. And if anything happened to you, it would kill mom. You know, Mm -hmm. she's giving me all the lines that you give, you know, giving me something to hold on to. And she said, can you just wait till tomorrow? I'm going to figure it out, and tomorrow we're going to come up with a plan. And the next day my dad showed up at my house. He had the Blessed Sacrament, Mm. and he had a book by John Paul II called Crossing the Threshold of Hope, which, if you've read it, is not an easy read, (laughs) but that's how my dad and I roll with each other. (laughs) And and your dad's a deacon, He is a deacon, yeah. Yeah. So he talked with me for a while and said the same thing he said to me before. He said, honey, I think the Lord is putting you in a season of suffering for a reason, and now you have to make a choice. You either make the choice to walk towards Him, or you're making the choice to walk away. And you you can decide what it is that you want to do, but I'm going to encourage you to choose God. You know, so I entered into a season of faithfulness and started to go to daily Mass and started to embrace the sacraments again. You know, reconciliation became another big part of my life. And so did adoration. I had only ever experienced Eucharistic adoration when I traveled. And Rome was the first Mm -hmm. place I ever stumbled into a chapel, and there's the Blessed Sacrament. You know, so then I started to seek that out in different churches, wherever I could find it, so that I could have holy hours um, with the Lord. And two years of doing that... I let go of the life I wanted for myself, and I embraced the fullness of the life God had for me. And that's when I started to pursue religious life. And by that time, I was in my early 30s, and a lot of communities won't take you when Mm. you're, you know, that seasoned in your life, which is a polite way to say I was old. You know, I was old, stuck in my ways. And I didn't, I didn't know what God was asking of me. He kept saying the same thing to me in prayer. You know, I want you to be in the world and not of it. And I didn't know what that meant. So I actually came here to the seminary to visit with Dr. Mary Healy. And I sat down with her and I said, I think God's calling me to religious life. And I have no idea, mm-hmm. you know, what he's asking because no community resonates with me. Or if they do, they won't take me because I'm too old. And the first thing she talked about was consecrated virginity. Wow. And as soon as she mentioned it, I felt this rush of joy. Um, it, you know, some people describe a spirit of joy that comes on them, you know, when they receive an anointing from the Holy Spirit. And I got that. And I'd never had that before in my life. And I told her that. Had you even heard of consecrated virginity before? Never. Not even like all the searching I had done 
of religious life. And I had a friend that was entering a community and she had this huge book, yeah. you know, of communities. She's like, here, read the blue book, you know, right. and, and start plowing through <laughs> the it. The blue book. Yeah. yeah, it was the blue book. There's other women I've run into. I've been like, yeah, have you seen the blue book? Yeah. I don't The USCCB might put it out. I don't know. But they didn't have consecrated virginity written hmm. anywhere that I had seen. So then I started to do my own research. And that's what Dr. Healy had encouraged me to do. And there are, at the time, Lansing had, I think, uh, nine or ten women that had been consecrated as virgins. So I had the opportunity to go on a retreat that they were hosting, and that confirmed it for me. Like, yes, this is what God has been asking of me for my whole life. And then it was just a matter of working with the diocese in Detroit to make it one of the forms of consecrated yeah. life here. Were you at the Mass? I was, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was my hero. <laughs> were you? I do, oh. I do need to give him a shout-out for that. I, I want yeah. to hear it. Well, I so we hadn't done it in Detroit before, right? Meaning and, the mass. Yes, yeah. nobody had done it. Yeah. So I had tried to memorize, the, and it's a complicated mass. It, it is, like yeah. puts together the marriage rite almost with an ordination. Wow, it's really unique. Yeah. So I had tried to memorize it, and I was consecrated with two other women, and it was like decided that I was going to go first, right? So <laughs> good, that, good, that good. so that they could see, you know, and wouldn't be as anxious. And I'm like, I got this. I can memorize things. I have a <laughs> photographic memory. And I remember we're getting ready to walk down the aisle, and I, I looked at Father Stephen, and I said, you're going to, like, cue me, right? Because I don't know if I've got this or yeah. not. Right. <laughs> and so, he did. I was the Archbishop's secretary at the time, so I got to emcee the Mass. Yeah. And, got to study the ritual and help walk um, the archbishop because he had never done it before. Right, he didn't yeah. know what to do, you know. Uh, and so part of that job for me is to study it and to, uh, to be the kind of answer guy in the middle of the ritual yeah. so that people know where to go, what to do, and everything gets done the way it should. Do you have, like, in the memory of this, do you guys have, like, a favorite beautiful moment in that Mass, like, from these special things? I remember Karen uh, singing. There are a couple oh. of like antiphons nice. that are sung uh, and that Karen has a, a wonderful voice. And Karen and the other women, there were three three women total, yeah. um, sang these beautiful antiphons in response. And it was, it, it was really beautiful. It was very prayerful for me. Can I tell you a secret about that? Joe Ballastrieri let me write them. <clears throat> no way. Yeah, because I wanted to memorize them. And R- he had... Write the melodies, right? Yes, the write the melodies. Because the words are, are taken. But the words are taken from scripture, but Correct. this is the melody. Yeah. Yeah. So the church prescribes the words that we sing, but Joe let let me write how we were going to sing them. Is it based off of like a psalm? Yeah. Yeah. yeah what is the What is the? Phrase? Yeah. Um, I espouse my heart to you, my mm. Lord and my God, and the angels live to serve you. Yeah, I, I think, think it's the first one is something of them like that. Are from the Psalms, one's from Song of Songs. That's I what believe. I was gonna say. That song, so song it, of Song. It, mm-hmm. It's from kind of the the poetry part of scripture. Mm-hmm. Karen, can I ask you like so it's been a couple of years for you. Uh, how has your life been kind of being a spouse of Christ, being a consecrated virgin? Oh my gosh. How is l- that your how has your relationship with Christ been with that? It's like a joy every day. It's like a little gift when I wake up in the morning. And I actually, sometimes I feel my ring or I look at him and I'm like, oh my gosh, what I'm married to you. <laughs> I, I think because it was such a struggle for me to get there, mm-hmm. that every yeah. day's gift. I, I tell the Lord that every day's a gift just to know that I get to be bride and I don't have to fight for it anymore. I'm just bride. 
my sister-in-law recently posted a meme and it was like there are years where god where you see god answer the years of prayers you Mm. spent and so like i think about that with like all the struggles that people go through like here you are and you get to have the years where you see your prayers answered yeah and this is one of my favorite parts of the podcast with Danielle is like getting to talk with people yeah. in all these different vocations right. and seeing the joy of the Lord right. in priesthood and religious life in consecrated virginity and in married life. And, right. and we've interviewed people who are single too in the way the Lord mm-hmm. is blessing their lives. Yeah. So thanks for sharing your testimony with yeah, us, Karen. Absolutely. So Karen, Unleash the Gospel pastoral letter. You've Love read it. it? Yes. What were your thoughts, concerns, feelings of your heart? Wow, that's asking me a lot. A that, that's how Danielle rolls, right? It <laughs> is like deep end, deep end of the pool, two-handed shove. Right. I knew you could handle it, though. There are some people who maybe wouldn't be able to, but I knew you could. Yeah. What I are can. your feels? My feels? So initially when I read it, I thought I'm looking at the anointing of the Spirit, mm-hmm. which isn't something we see quite often. These days, coming from the church, maybe that's right. Maybe that's a harsh, (laughs) harsh statement to make. No, but the clarity of it in speaking into the time Mm -hmm. and saying, "Here's where we are as a church, and here's where we need to be, and here's how we're gonna kind of move to get there," was really inspiring for me. Did you have like a favorite part? There's certain things in it that I think are my favorite parts if you will. I actually like the whole first section, which is unpacking more what we're seeing in society today and the role that we play with our good and bad habits. Yeah. That for me was really key. I mean, we could spend years, right? Just talking about that. Yeah. Let's talk about that societal part, like yeah. the roots of the crisis, right? Moral therapeutic deism yeah. or scientific yeah. uh, messianism. Like, uh, moral therapeutic deism is just a fun phrase to say, mm-hmm. but like you're a t- you're a principal and educator, um, you have to see this everywhere. This yeah. concept that God is um, like impersonal God who doesn't care about my day to day decisions, and He's just there in a therapeutic way yeah. for me to turn to when I need something but not really to have a real relationship with. Yeah. Actually, I was cheering when I read this section, and I was also toying with writing the Archbishop myself and saying, I think you left out a couple. <laughs> no, I never did that, uh, nor do I mean it. Of the roots of the crisis? Yeah, 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 of things that we see, especially with the younger generation. You know, there's also this mentality that, um, we don't want to speak truth for somebody else. Right. You know, that whatever's their truth is their truth. And we need to honor that, that that's the loving thing to do. I think it's one of the distortions we have in this culture where we, we've lost a sense of authentic friendship yeah. and kind of God's design for the human person and for love. Yeah, and we don't have confidence when we do that, right? Like right. if I don't have confidence to share what I love that is something good for you too. Yeah. And in all freedom that you're willing, you yeah. have the total yeah. ability to say no to it. Yeah. Um, like that's just, that's a really, uh, we miss something right. in friendship. If I'm not willing right. to say like, here, I found something great yeah. and I want to share something great with you. Yeah. We're afraid of conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, and that's the thing that kind of surprises me when I am working with young people today. They're actually just afraid to have real conversations. Why? Where do you think that comes from? What do you think is going on? I think part of it is the how will I be received? Mm-hmm. 
You know, I mean, the other thing is with the revolution of technology and social media, we have distanced ourselves so much from live interaction with people that we don't know how to receive the other. You know, Mm -hmm. we have to use emojis to communicate how we're feeling. And if I haven't, you know, given you five smiley emojis, then, you know, you don't know that I'm okay with whatever it is that you've said to me. Right. Yeah, I was talking to a priest uh, a few months ago about something about this, and he had said, like, when he was a kid, you made plans with your friends, like, in school or mm-hmm. the day before, and, like, you were committed to that, right? right. Now, people are always waiting for, like, maybe a better offer is going to come, something more fun. You're kind of hedging your bets. Like, every Facebook event has five right. people committed and 250 <laughs> people as maybe. Right. my life. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see that. And maybe there's also, like, which was a bad habit, is a spirit of fear mm. as well of just, like, mm-hmm. what will this other think of me, too? Yeah, there's a part in that spirit of fear where we're afraid of vulnerability mm-hmm. and we're afraid of humiliation. Yeah. So much so that it paralyzes us from engaging with others or even speaking what's on our heart. Yeah. You know, I was in college when I started to grow more deeply in my faith. And I just remember, like, coming to know Jesus as the Lord of my life Mm -hmm. helped me so much with that, right? That, Mm -hmm. like, my identity and my worth was not built around what someone else thought of me. Now, I mean, we never root that out completely, but it just gave me the freedom to say, like, hey, if this person doesn't like me or if this person, you know, thinks I'm kind of a fool or or silly, like, I'm okay with that, right? Like, my life's going to go on because that's not not, uh, where I I live. That's not my identity. And and I think that's where our, our faith can, like really help us Mm -hmm. move beyond some of the trappings of this world. I think um, another thing, too, is that we sometimes forget, like, how much we have and how Mm. good it is. I was telling Father Steve, um, yesterday I gave a tour to uh, a local university's mortuary science program. (laughs) They came to the church, and I do, like, a lot of historic tours, and they're like, we want a tour. I'm like, that's cool. And they're like, we're the mortuary science program. I'm like, oh, do you not want the history? What do you want? And they wanted to learn just about, like, the rites of Christian burial. I'm like, come on in. So they came, and it was so intense. And I, I love me a good Catholic funeral. Like, love it. Love the prayers. Love the intensity. And I was, t- I, I had a young seminarian help me out, Deacon Derek, and he, and he and I were just talking about like baptism, life of faith, all this stuff. And these people were literally moved to tears. Mm-hmm. And at one point, this girl was like, do Catholics believe in reincarnation? And Deacon Derek really addressed how we don't and like what the teaching is and how we are, we're not just bodies, we're not just souls, we are body and soul. This is integral to our teaching and we're going to, there's going to be the resurrection of the body. And just like to hear, like to hear the truths preached again and to people who had never heard them, Mm -hmm. it was really powerful. And I'm like, why do I never talk about this? Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, there's a freedom when someone comes into your right, church that's true. to do that, yeah. right? And <laughs> are you not just talking to people about death? <laughs> well, and and we gotta love Perfect. those opportunities. But I think for me, one of the challenges of unleash the gospel is not just how do we look for those opportunities when they come to us, right. but how do we also help create those opportunities? And that can be, you know, a real challenge. We were talking earlier mm-hmm. about. Uh, Karen, you really liking uh, Guidepost 3, the word made flesh. Mm-hmm. You talk about like what that looks like in your life, the fact that Jesus came <laughs> into like all of our brokenness, came into our world and took on our flesh. Yeah, Jesus is like the greatest thing ever, honestly. <laughs> I, yeah, when, I, I agree. <laughs> when, when you were talking, Danielle, what I was thinking was, I think we minimize the effect of God's grace. Yeah. That when... Jesus was made incarnate through Mary when he became a child like one of us and kind of conquered sin and had it nailed right to the cross with him. We don't realize the power of that in the way that we live our lives and the words that we can use with other people, that that grace, you know, that Jesus has won for us can be a part of our everyday life. That's why the sacraments for me are so rich and so real, where I I can't live a day without the Eucharist. I, I... prefer not to. I don't even want to try and do that because I'm so dependent on that grace. Karen, how does your vocation as a consecrated person, I mean, how are you able to speak the gospel into those situations? Does that come up with people asking you like, so are you married? (laughs) Or like, so... (laughs) I've had so many embarrassing moments, right? (laughs) Especially once you throw that word, you know, I'm consecrated as a virgin. And man, that is a loaded word. Yeah, that's true. In every regard. It was a loaded word with my family. It was a loaded word with my friends. It's a loaded word to the guy, you know, coming up to me in the bar. And so I actually am choosy how I explain it. And when I say that, sometimes I just, you know, hold up my hand with the ring now and go, you know, I'm actually married, mm-hmm. you know, and to people who perhaps I'm, I'm gauging aren't Catholic or, you yeah. know, even Christian, I'll just say, you know, I'm married to Jesus. And then that sparks a interesting yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that one of the greatest fears I had about this vocation was having to proclaim to people, you know, that title virgin, yeah. you know, like, yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of people say that, or, you know, people that go beat red when they're having that conversation. <laughs> like, I want to ask you something just because I can't even believe it. Right. Yeah. So it's been a beautiful experience. And the more I've talked about it, like the more liberating it is actually. I- I find that to be true, Dan. I'd love to hear your perspective, Danielle, but just as a priest wearing my clerics walking ah, around, yeah. mm-hmm. whether it's in a hospital or in a grocery store or yeah. in a bar, right? Yeah. Like sometimes I can get self-conscious about it and I, I've taken to wearing them more and more mm-hmm. just like as a, like our world's broken. This is one little discomfort I'm going to suck up and, and just do. Does yeah. it get uncomfortable? It gets uncomfortable because there's like a spotlight. There's like a spotlight on you, right? And I haven't had any bad interactions about kind of the brokenness of the church and Mm -hmm. you know any of that. But just like you're always on, right? There's like a spotlight on you. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing. But you know, so some of that's my own, like just wanting to be anonymous, Mm. you know, at times. But I find, as you're saying, Karen, like. So many people are hurting or just want a word of kindness. And and as a priest, looking like a priest can open the door enough to just, hey, f- Father, can you give me a blessing? I'm really having a hard yeah. day. Or can I talk to you? Like, right. That is so beautiful right. that people want 
uh, to acknowledge God in their life and they want to see that. Yeah. And I think that's where the movement of Unleash the Gospel can really start to take root is looking for opportunities outside our church walls to say, hey, I think the goodness, the truth, the beauty of Christ needs to be spoken into this situation. Did you ever have experiences where people just walk up to you and you're like, hey, are you a priest? Tell me more about Jesus. Like, do you ever have that? Like, I, I had, It hasn't been that blunt, but um, now that my beard is getting a little more gray, <laughs> it's a little different. But like when I was newly ordained, they're like, are you a priest? Aren't you in high school? Like, oh, you know, you get that and that's yeah. like a really easy conversation. Yeah. And that can be a great way to witness to Christ. Like, yeah. no, like I am a priest and I'm older than you think probably. Which is an interesting like evangelization just through lifestyle. Because mm-hmm. that yeah. was something, um, so the young man who helped me yesterday with the mortuary science tour, I uh, was Deacon Derek. And I asked him because he is, he's younger. If the Lord wills, he'll be a dad. And he's got an awesome he's beard. He's got an awesome beard, yeah. <laughs> and um, afterwards I was talking to some students and this one student was like, I can't believe that there's someone my age who's deciding to become mm. a priest. Yeah. Right? And I was like, he's actually not even the only one. Right. <laughs> like there are a few of them. Right. But um, I imagine like just that evangelization of decision strikes people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The fact that you'd be willing to walk away from family, children, I mean, sex. I get mm-hmm. asked that all the time. Like how could right. you possibly enter into, you know, a, a promise to God saying that you will never experience that in your lifetime? Right. Yeah, that, those were always, to me, like the best awkward conversation. Yeah. <laughs> you're entering seminary, so that means like you're never going to, right. you know, like, like you know, and you're like, come on, yeah, say it, say it. I'm waiting, like, yeah, I'm waiting to just ask me. Eat bacon? No, that's a different thing. <laughs> right. 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 So it, it can be a really beautiful testimony, mm-hmm. but it doesn't just have to be how we dress. It's right. the way we live our lives, right? right? Making the sign of the cross right. when we're out to eat or if we're carrying a book with us or yeah. saying God bless you to yeah. someone. Like just right. that little step to say... Yeah. Um, I'm going to do something that can set me apart, identify me as a Christian to speak the truth of the gospel here. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I have found myself doing is I'm not naturally an extrovert, but I kind of when I'm in social settings or like even in the grocery store, you can see people that are just in need of like human contact. So I've started to open myself up just to start conversations with people like, hey, how's your day going? You know, I see you got three little people. It must be really stressful, things like that. And in the course of conversation, people, at least with me, will give me real things happening in their life. And I'll say, you know what? Can I pray for that? Or can I pray with you right now for that? Like I'll discern in the moment, like what's, how else can I kind of advance the ball so that they realize that there's more than us just staying stuck or us just being removed from each other, even if it's somebody who's a stranger. A question to you as a woman. (laughs) Yeah. Father Steve, um, I don't want to hear your opinion. Um, I, I'm just kidding. I'd love to hear it later when you're older. Um, when you're older, woman, off the a, air. As a woman working with young women, mm. what are important thi- like what are important things that you feel women need to hear? Like ways that women need to be formed that maybe they're not being things they're not maybe being told right now. Ways they're not being formed. Yeah, I. 
Man, I wish I had a student sitting next to me because they'd probably say I have high expectations and I can be a little hard on them in in this regard. Mm-hmm. That one of the things I really have on my heart is that they have to lead. Yeah. And I tell them that all the time. You have to be leaders. You have to be leaders in vocation. You have to be leaders in relationship. And what that looks like for a woman is you have to love really deeply. It is not about you. It is about the other people. You know, so there are some things that I can do as a principal to Mm -hmm. kind of take us out of our teenage um, angst and self-obsession and look at the world around you. You know, that's why a couple weeks ago we shut down classes and everybody had to go out on mission. So I sent kids to the Dominican Republic to work in orphanages and medical clinics, kids to work in homeless shelters in Washington, D.C. And then the kids that were here, we worked to a St. Paul Street Evangelization to set up a warming center in Campus Martius. And uh, we went into the Cornerstone Schools just really to get them out of the classroom environment to learn what does it actually mean to be a disciple. And one of the amazing things for me to see is when we went to Campus Martius with St. Paul Street Evangelization, they had trained the girls, like you're going out on the streets and you're evangelizing the businessman and the homeless. You know, it doesn't matter who's on the street, you're bringing the light of Christ. So I had girls that were going up to you know, strangers for the first time in their life, engaging in conversation and praying with people. A third of my kids who went out, like really broke through that old mode of, you know, it's only okay for us to pray in church silently with ourselves, Mm -hmm. to say to people, can I pray with you? And they said the beautiful thing was that people would then say, like, yeah, like totally in shock. And the girls were telling me, we had people actually who started praying then with us. Like then they, they're Christian. They'd say that, like, I'm Lutheran or I'm, you know, from this mm-hmm. church. Yeah, let's pray together. I have another question, but go ahead. No. Okay, money. No. Okay. <laughs> that nickname is not going to stay. Now it's going to be a part of it because people have heard it. Hey, money, 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 money. So this is just like kind of in like asking for your wisdom and the wisdom of St. Catherine of Siena. What do you think it means to be a woman who leads in the church? Wow, that's a really. That's a great question. That is a great question. I am very curious for this answer. Yeah, so a woman who is authentically leading in church, Mm -hmm. in the church, is one who witnesses the love of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit is who impels her, is who drives her. And that can only come from a true love, right, where God has to be the center of her heart. And once God is the center of her heart, there's nothing that can stop her. Everything that comes from her, everything that flows from her, that fecundity, that fruitfulness, you know, her fertility as a woman mm-hmm. comes from having the, you know, the word of God implanted in her heart. And that heart is everything to the world. You know, JP2 used to say that about the feminine genius, that the real gift of women is her ability to see people with her heart. And that's something we mocked these days. You know, we mock the heart, we mark, mock anything that has that, what I would consider true beauty, you know, where we get to see more than just the shell or the front people put up, but right into the soul. And women have to reach into the soul and draw out the goodness in people. Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Danielle? Uh, no, I also have to take a second. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I guess is what I would say. That's why I asked. Yeah. But I guess I would also say this is something that I think about a lot. Um, I have a very strong personality in um, and in a lot of Christian tradition, like 
uh, you know, there are a lot of things that women are told to be that I, I think maybe aren't necessarily harmful, but they're not necessarily inspired either. Mm. And something that I really feel in my life is God always, always, always calls me to do more and more and more. And I am like consistently the one who's telling him, we got to slow down, friend. We got to tone ourselves down. We're overwhelming too many people. Um, but it's always God who's like, we can do more and we can be more. So I guess I would say, what does it mean to lead in the church? Is, um, it means to be really deeply rooted in your identity and God and to be um, completely given to him. My name is um, Danielle, but it comes from Daniel, which is a Hebrew word. And any anytime you see like E-L ending a word, it's reference to God's name. And mm-hmm. so my name means God is my judge in Hebrew. Ooh. And I, I like I didn't understand when I was a kid, but what I understand it to me now is that I have no other judge. This is my only judge. The only one who I care about is this one. So um, sometimes I just like to remind myself of that too. It's like, this is my, my only judge is God. And so that's what leadership means to me is just relying on him. Amen. That's awesome. Yeah, that mentality can take you far. Karen, is there any final word, prayer, um, uh, anything on your heart you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I I think don't be afraid to go deep. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to go deep in yourself. And don't be afraid to go deep into the world where you're bringing the love of Jesus Christ. You can't go wrong. Even if somebody spits in your face, you can't go wrong with the love of Jesus Christ. It's everything. He's everything. And I'm so grateful Karen joined us for our conversation today. It's just so beautiful to hear the way that God calls different people to different vocations to follow Him and to be united with Him. Be sure to subscribe and like us on iTunes and to bring your friends along for the ride. And if the Holy Spirit has inspired you while listening today, be sure to pass this episode along to someone else who might enjoy it. Open Door Policy was produced at Sacred Heart Major Seminary for the Archdiocese of Detroit. We'd like to thank our creative team, Christine Warner, Ron Pangborn, Paul Duda, Patrick Hodgden, Devin Buston, Patty Maldonado, Naomi Vrezo, Joe Peltier, Epsi Christostomo, and Edmundo Reyes. Join us next time for an inside look at our Open Door process. Hey, Dan, can I lead? Can I yeah. ask about the time? Are you okay with it? I'm great. You sure? Yes. She gets really possessive about <laughs> segment. I'm Father Steve Pullis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. Hi, this is Danielle from Open Door Policy, and I wanted to let you know that for season two, we have new social media channels for you to connect and follow Open Door Policy. So be sure to follow at Open Door Detroit on Twitter and Facebook. Tell us what you think of the latest episodes and follow along for the latest updates on all things Open Door Policy. Thanks, friends.